Good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you are having a good week. Hope everything is going well in your world, staying healthy, getting out, enjoying the sunshine. And this week in Rochester, at least, it's uh, it's going to be a scorcher, folks. Stay careful. Drink lots of fluids, both the appropriate and unappropriate kind. Got to have some fun. And make sure you stay inside. Look after those pets. We need the healthy doggos out there, too. A lot of things going on in the sports world in this time where we're trying to find a way back to normalcy. Schedules are coming out and different organizations are getting back together, getting workouts. So we got a lot going on in the world of sports. Going to start in the NFL, where the big news yesterday was that Patrick Mahomes signed himself a new deal. Mahomes is entering the fourth year of his career. He is a Super Bowl MVP. He's a league MVP. If you remember, he didn't start but one game his first year. Alex Smith was the Chiefs quarterback in that first year. Mahomes then took over. And the development of Mahomes by Andy Reid has not been nothing short of brilliant. He has been a fantastic player. And the face of the franchise, and not only the franchise, likely the face of the NFL going forward. And the Chiefs locked him up big yesterday. This is a 10-year extension that is worth $477 million. Let me say that again. 10-year extension worth $477 million. Can reach up to $503 million. A half a billion Oh, by the way, two years left on the rookie deal that will essentially get him another $30 million. So you're looking at Patrick Mahomes' next 12 years being locked up for somewhere in the neighborhood of $530 billion. Million dollars. Half a billion. Ridiculous. Crazy. You think about that and... You know, it's, it's, it's such a strange thing in our world right now to see the future, to assume the fu- future is going to look somewhat like the past. And I know with all the social movements, I'm not trying to say we're going back in time. I'm just saying sports, economics, things like that. Going forward, do we assume that we're going to be able to go forward and have the same money coming in? Let's face it, if the NFL plays this year, and it's a, that's a legitimate if, I believe they will somehow, some way, simply because the NFL has too much money at stake to not play. But if they play this year, there aren't going to be many fans at many places. Last week, the COVID guidelines came out in New York State, and granted, there's only one team in New York State, your Buffalo Bills. But there will be no fans at the games. There will be no tailgates allowed at the games. Buffalo Bills games, if they take place this year in Orchard Park, are going to look vastly different than they ever have before. They are going to be something that we never thought we'd see. Picture the worst December Bills home game when the team is terrible and there are 20,000 people in an 80,000-seat stadium or 75,000-seat stadium. Think how that sounds, and then turn the volume down on that. That's what it's going to be like. 
So for the Chiefs, yes, they've locked up their face of the franchise. They've locked up the face of the league going forward. They're in a situation, too, where they're, they've got about a four- or five-year window where most of their players are going to be able to be kept under contract and in their prime playing ability, they can make a run at a dynasty here. And Patrick Mahomes is the key. They've got a great offense. They've got a great offensive mind in Andy Reid. They've got balance. The defense has improved. There's no reason to think for the next three or four years that the Chiefs are going to be, if not the team to be, a team to be. So this was a great move. And, you know, I say the face of the league. You start to look at the quarterback position. And let's face it, in the NFL, the quarterbacks are everything. They're the marketing people. They're the ones we invest in as fans. Tom Brady's 42. Drew Brees is 41. Ben Roethlisberger's 38. Rodgers, 37. The, the names that we've known for so long to carry these teams or carry the league are all getting to the end. And even if they play till 40, some are already at 40. Breeze is likely done after this year. Brady, I assume this year and next year in Tampa, who knows with Tom. But it's a changing of the guard, if you will. And, and you think about it, you've got the older guys – who are the guys who've won the MVPs and won Super Bowls, there isn't a huge middle grouping. You know, the guys who are really good who have been around for a long time. And and those guys, to me, are Russell Wilson and Matt Ryan and Matthew Stafford. And I know some of you may say Matthew Stafford isn't that good. Well, pull up Matthew Stafford's career statistics. Look at what he's done in his time in the league, and I think you'd be surprised how good and consistent, and even though in a bad situation, he has been. Matt Ryan has a chance this year, in my opinion, if football's played, to have another phenomenal year. They've got great offensive pieces around him. So another guy who I think has four or five years left, But then it's all these young guns led by Patrick Mahomes and certainly last year's MVP, Lamar Jackson. There's a whole lot of great young quarterback talent. How many of those guys become the next Russell Wilson or Matt Ryan? Are you sure anyone besides Patrick Mahomes is going to have a long, great career? I'm sure Patrick Mahomes is going to be somebody that we're talking about in the Hall of Fame. That's how good he is. But I think it's more than that. This will always be brought up when you bring up Patrick Mahomes. Bills could have had him, and they could have. They sat there at number 10, and they had a chance to either take him or maybe even Deshaun Watson. But that year, and it was Doug Whaley as the general manager who was fired the next day after the draft. So in my opinion, Doug Whaley had very little to do with other than the preparation for that draft, he didn't have final say on who they were selecting. Sean McDermott, in my opinion, had that. That was McDermott's first year in Buffalo. They traded out of that pick. They got an extra first-round pick, and they drafted Tredavious White 
with the 27th pick that they got back from Kansas City that year. That 27th pick in Tredavious White turned out to be a great one. The Bills, in my opinion, right now have two elite players, Trey White and Stephon Diggs. They also garnered a second first-round pick the following year that they helped move up and grab Tremaine Edmonds. And Edmonds could become a star. And during his third year, I expect him to make a huge step forward this year to become that dominant middle linebacker that the Bills thought they were drafting. So I do believe this is a deal that worked out for both sides. But I also think that where you get drafted and whom you get drafted by is every bit as important as the player you are. Lamar Jackson in Baltimore goes to a situation where they have a quarterback in Joe Flacco in front of him. He's allowed to develop, learn, understand the NFL game from the sidelines. Meanwhile, John Harbaugh and Greg Roman, the offense coordinator in Baltimore, can develop a system that fits Lamar Jackson's skill set. His skill set is unique. You don't just put him in any situation. You use his unique skill set and build pieces around him. You draft a couple tight ends to improve the running game and help him with those short passes where he is so dangerous and so good. And then you bring speed in from the outside, on the outside like Hollywood Brown, to stretch the field. It it works together. The system that they built around Lamar Jackson allowed Lamar Jackson to develop into the threat that he is and the reason why he was the MVP last year. Patrick Mahomes, similarly, he goes to Kansas City. Andy Reid had already had a a guy in Alex Smith that you can win games with, and the Chiefs did win games. The only start of Mahomes' rookie year was week 16, I should say game 16, week 17, when he got in at the end of the season in a meaningless game because they had already locked things up with Alex Smith as a quarterback. Reid allowed Mahomes, who again was a non-traditional quarterback, to come in and learn slowly, understand things. And if he went to Buffalo instead of Kansas City, I don't believe Patrick Mahomes would be viewed as the quarterback he is today. I, I don't think there was a situation there in Buffalo to allow him to grow and develop into what he has in three short years. I just don't think it's possible. Look at the way the Bills have handled Josh Allen. Allen comes in as a rookie, and and he's a developmental project, right? He is as gifted as any quarterback who's come into the league in a long time. I'm not saying he's as good. I'm saying he's as gifted. Big arm, athletic, could do many things at the quarterback position. But he was raw, had terrible mechanics, worked very hard with Jordan Jordan Palmer on getting better with that, had to improve that. So what did the Bills do to allow him to sit and learn? They decide to bring in A.J. McCarron, who's a career backup at best, who is somebody who didn't fit their process. So they even move on from A.J. McCarron before the regular season, end up somehow trading him for a fifth-round pick, which was great work by Brandon Bean, and decide to start Nathan Peterman. 
Now, Nathan Peterman is still in the league somehow. And John Gruden actually loves Nathan Peterman in Oakland. As somebody who went to every training camp practice the last three or four years, stood there in the sidelines, I'm no quarterback guru. But you notice differences in guys. When the Bills brought in Tyrod Taylor and and brought in the fact that he was going to be the backup. If you remember, he was going to be the backup quarterback. And and yet you could see Tyrod was far superior to anybody else the Bills had at that point. You could just watch from the sidelines. You could tell. Similarly, watching Nate Peterman throw a football, he doesn't have the arm strength to get it to where it needs to go. He can make the reads, and and he can dissect defenses. He just simply doesn't have arm strength. It's too much air under the ball. allows the defense time to react. And everyone loves Nate Peterman, great guy. But for Sean McDermott to believe that the bridge quarterback was going to be Nate Peterman, and they were going to succeed in developing Josh Allen by having Nate Peterman lead that team, nothing could have been further from the truth. And because they were so ill-prepared, week one halftime, Josh Allen's in the game in Baltimore in a blowout, getting his head kicked in because Nate Peterman couldn't do it. And then Allen becomes a star. Not until they signed Derek Anderson midseason were the Bills ready to develop Josh Allen. And that helped him immensely. Year two, he then doesn't really need that leader as much, but Matt Barkley served that role to a degree and allowed Allen to take that step forward. McDermott being more McDermott because it was him initially, I felt horribly misjudged the quarterback position when they drafted Josh Allen, and not with Allen, but what they had around him. And I thought that hurt Allen initially and forced him to play before he was ready. So back to Mahomes, having the benefit of watching Alex Smith, who's a very underrated career player. When he's done and you look back at Alex Smith's career, you're going to go, you know, I know he was the number one overall pick, and maybe he didn't reach those high expectations of a number one, but he had a damn good career. And Andy Reid developing Mahomes the way he did is just as important as Patrick Mahomes having the ability to throw every ball any way, any time. So this is a marriage made in heaven with Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes. The Chiefs have a ton of talent around him. They added Clyde Edwards-Alaire this year in the draft, a running back who I believe is going to be an absolute stud. I loved what he did at LSU. had some hamstring issues that I think maybe pushed him down in the draft and the fact that nobody drafts running backs anymore. But this is a dual-threat guy who I think is going to have a huge impact in that offense. And think about it. After Kareem Hunt went to went away, the Chiefs' running game took a little bit of a step back, which the offense didn't miss a beat, essentially. They were still very good, but now you're going back to where you have a legitimate running game. And let's not forget Damian Williams was pretty good last year. He wasn't Kareem Hunt good, 
but he was pretty good. So that's the big news. And going forward, again, the face of the league, face of the franchise, already has a Super Bowl ring, 24 years old, 12 years now in Kansas City, 36 years old. What do you think the contract will look like after this one's up? If this one is worth somewhere between 40 and 50 million per year, oh, and 140 million dollar guarantee, 140. It's just crazy. But you know, good for the league and good business. The best thing I read about this, Josh McCown, who would have been a great backup quarterback to bring in for the Bills, actually. The Jets, one of the few moves I liked that the Jets had made over the last couple of years, was bringing McCown in to help tutor Sam Darnold. Had a phenomenal tweet. You know, one team over 10 years, he asked, is that better than 10 teams with a one-year deal? Because Josh McCown has played for eight different teams. He's the king, or was. He's retired now. The king of the one-year deal. So, a lot going on in the NFL. There's also the name change of the Washington Redskins that is an underlying topic to the Patrick Mahomes thing. It's a big topic, certainly in Washington, and with all the social movements going on, the Redskins, who some Native Americans find extremely offensive, some Native Americans don't find offensive. But the Redskins team name bothers some. In, in this day and age, if it bothers some, it's got to go. That's what we've learned. So if you're Dan Snyder, you have two roads to go. Your big sponsors are pulling money back. Your minority partners are trying to sell. You hope to get a new stadium deal going. All of these things may be contingent on you changing the name of your football team. And to this point, Snyder has resisted greatly to do that. And maybe I look at it differently, opportunistically, but the worst thing that could happen if the Redskins change their name today, that people have old gear that they'll save, that become a collector's item, and now all of a sudden there's new gear available. There's new merchandising revenues that are going to come in because everyone always wants the new jersey. That's why teams change their uniforms so often. Yeah, we know that you bought 15 jerseys over the last 20 years by a 16th. It's just what the NFL does. Dan Snyder has an opportunity to make more revenue. He can make people happy. He can silence his critics. He can keep... His sponsors, who funnel millions, hundreds of millions of dollars into his pocket every year, and he could get his new stadium made. What's the downside? Where is the, well, I think we should keep it? Tradition? There are a lot of traditions that have proven that when they go away, nobody misses them. Do you think anybody, I shouldn't say anybody, because there's always going to be that guy. I'll never go to another game again. This is crap. They they didn't have to do that. Well, maybe they don't have to do that. But sometimes you should do something you don't have to do. And in my opinion, that's where Dan Snyder lies. Now, President Trump is going to do whatever he can 
in the next five or six months to get reelected. And he is pandering to his base and criticized the Redskins for even considering this and criticized the Cleveland Indians in baseball for thinking about that. So there is a lot of rhetoric, but I look at it this way. This is Dan Snyder given an opportunity for maybe the only time in his life to come out and look like a good guy. We all know what's gone on under Dan Snyder. Zero success because he can't help himself. He's an egomaniac who's a controlling figure, who's a polarizing figure. I I say polarizing because I assume somebody likes him, but whatever. He's just not very well revered. Has a chance to change history. Has a chance to come out looking like the good guy. Yet, he's not ready to do so. He can solve so many problems, can change his image, make more money, get his stadium approved, all for changing the name. And he's mulling this over. I mean, you know when you make a big decision in life, you're, you're do two sides, pros and cons. Con, tradition, pros, money, stadium, sponsors, uh, person, people liking the situation. It's, it's a no-brainer. Get it done. I, I really don't see why this is something that's going to take a long time. But the one reason, it's Dan Snyder. It's who he is. It's what he is. So the NFL, fast forward to the end of the month, will seemingly report to training camps. That's what's being anticipated at this point. Now, obviously, with coronavirus spiking in Texas and California and Florida, things are very fluid with the plans for sports. And I do believe that some of these plans that are in place that we think are going to happen in some cases rather quickly are not going to happen that quickly. I think it's, you know, caution before revenue is the way it'll ultimately end up. But when you look at what's going on with the NFL canceling two of their preseason games, this is a huge step forward for the NFL. And I think it's a big picture thing here too, as well. The NFL has already added a 17th game. They are going to expand their schedule. They're going to get less preseason games going forward. With a 16-game schedule and four preseason games, each team then has a 10-game sell. They host 10 games. To To the networks, the TV networks, their business partners, the NFL, each team sells 20 games. There was a 20-game sell. It's always been talked about whenever there's talk of the schedule or reduction of preseason, whatever we have to do to get to 20. So if you reduce the preseason from four to two, you then add two regular season games. You still have that 20-game window so they can sell and make their money. Player safety be damned. We need our revenue. So that's where the NFL wants to be long-term. I feel that this reduction of two games in this year's preseason because of COVID is not only smart because you have to be 
conscious of what's going on. But it's also a step towards where they ultimately want to be. They want to be a two preseason game scenario. Preseason game one, you let your starters play a quarter. Preseason game two, you let them play a half. You still have time to see the guys who may or may not make your team, get film on them, so you have an opportunity to maybe pick people off of other people's teams when they get caught. Those are all important processes when it comes to building a football team. And this year, they're doing it for health reasons and smartly. Now, the Players Association wants zero preseason games. And I don't know that that's smart because I think there's got to be at least one. Let's face it, when the NFL holds a game this year, if they hold a game this year, it will be different from any other year. It's essentially you're opening a new business. If you've ever opened a new business or been part of a business that opens, the way things work is you have an idea, right? We're going to do this. We're going to do it this way. Da, 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 da. All, our, all the processes that go into running a business, you have an idea of what you're going to do. Then you open and you see which ones work and which ones don't. And you make the adjustment going forward. That's why most businesses have, have a soft opening. So it's their friends and family. That way they can tweak things that weren't working the way they thought they would. The NFL, in my opinion, this year, because of COVID and because of all the things that go on to safely holding an event in the, in the COVID era, need at least one preseason game. They need to be able to see what's going to work, what's not going to work. I think it's more important than ever to have a preseason game. And there's another reason for this as well. In most years, if you draft a rookie, you bring them in to mini camps, rookie camps, then training camp, then the exhibition games. It's like any other step up in life. When you get to that next level, things are different. You've got to get used to that difference. Until you get used to that difference, it's a very difficult thing. The rookies this year have had zero chance to get used to that difference. They've had virtual playbook meetings. They've had virtual workouts. But to get there and, and, and actually play football against NFL-caliber talent, they haven't done it. So it'll be interesting to watch. And I, I do believe that when training camps are supposed to start into July, I think we're going to push that back a little bit. And I think safety is going to win out. And I'd be surprised. I, I do believe the NFL will have a season. I don't believe the NFL season starts when it's supposed to. So something to keep an eye on. One league or sport or whatever you want to call it that's had some success in the restart is the golf. And it makes perfect sense. There isn't an easier socially distant sport than golf. You, know, you hit it in the fairway. I hit it in the trees. We're pretty far apart. Golf is certainly thriving because there's not much else on. And the new star of golf is Bryson DeChambeau. If you know anything about this guy, he's somewhat of a mad scientist and, you know, comes at it from a different perspective. But during the shutdown, 
he retooled his game. He got fatter. I mean, he worked out a lot. You know, you, you listen to the analysts and they talk about how beefy he is and his, you know, huge caloric intake. Listen, as a guy who has much more weight on me than I should, I can recognize a guy who's not only been working out, but has been eating well. And my man has been eating well. He's also hitting bombs. This past weekend, he actually won the Rocket Mortgage Challenge at Detroit Country Club and averaged over 340 yards per drive in doing so, hitting bombs. And that's all the announcers are talking about. Since the restart, he's had four straight top tens. He's playing great golf. He has become an interesting guy because, let's face it, chicks dig the long ball. Everyone likes a long hitter, and he has changed the game. Just swinging as hard as he can, hitting it as far as he can, and we'll see where it lands and then figure out a way to go from there. I think others will likely follow his methodology. But what Bryson DeChambeau did this weekend is remind all of us that so many of these athletes are spoiled, petulant little bitches. It's just something I can't root for. Bryson had a bunker shot that he didn't execute fairly well and slammed his club, threw it at his bag a little bit, stomped around, and the camera was on all of them. Now think about it. You're you're broadcasting a golf tournament with no fans. You've got the most interesting guy in golf right now on this hole having a reaction. If you're the cameraman, you're the production guy, what do you want to see? Somebody who most people never heard of missing a four-footer? Or Bryson DeChambeau stomping around like a petulant child? So they stayed on him the entire time after he putted out on the hole. Chambeau confronted the cameraman and lambasted him for doing so. In his post-round message to the media, he complained about that, said he didn't think it was right that they would show him in that time to potentially damage his brand. Listen, Bryson's a young guy. He's a brilliant guy and obviously is a very good golfer. But what he's not is very self-aware because the cameraman did his job. You, Bryson, acted like a little bitch and then threw more gas on your own fire because you couldn't handle being seen in a way that you really are. And to me, that's incredibly disappointing. Look, Nobody wants, we've all had those bad days at work, right? We've all had that time where we're throwing stuff around or swearing or doing whatever. It happens. But do we want to be filmed at that time? No. But at the same time, is it anyone else's fault that that's going on? It's it's simply not the case. It's your behavior that's being caught by this cameraman who is doing his job. Don't take it out on somebody who catches you doing something wrong when you're the one doing something wrong. If you don't want to be seen in a way that could damage your brand, then don't act like a 12-year-old. Grow up. 
if you want to be the face of golf and have all the money and all the riches and all the things that come along with it, suck it up. Tiger Woods, for years, has been shown more than any other golfer. And there have been times where Tiger has led an F-bomb fly or whatever, picked up by the cameras. And I always find it interesting that people will, like, you know, get pissed at Tiger. You know, oh, man, kids are watching. Okay, I understand that. But if you ever sworn at your job, if you're, you don't have a camera on you, so it's a little different. But I think it's hard to not act the way you act regardless of if, if you're being filmed or not. And, you know, for Bryson, he's going to be filmed more than most because he's more interesting than most. He's probably, other than Tiger Woods, the most interesting golfer in the world right now. So because of that, he needs to learn to adapt and accept that you're being filmed and accept that when this happens, it's not that cameraman's fault. It's yours. Grow up, Bryson. You need to be better. And I'm not talking about your golf game. That's just fine. Try to be a better person. We are dying for things to watch. And one of the more underrated events of the summer, in my opinion, is going on now. The basketball tournament. TBT is a $2 million winner-take-all March Madness-style tournament where you get guys who used to play for a college all get back together. Many of them play professionally in Europe. And they form a team. And 64 teams, like March Madness, one winner, take all, $2 million. Bayheim's Army, a group of former Syracuse players coached by Ryan Blackwell, Rochester resident. Dante Green is playing. I believe Hakeem Warwick, John Gillen, Brandon Trish, several other. Eric Devendorf get out there, dust it off. So they play Tuesday afternoon, this afternoon. But watching these games right now is interesting to me for so many reasons. With the NBA trying to make a comeback, with the NHL trying to make a comeback, Major League Baseball looking to get going, the basketball tournament has already started. They've already moved forward. And their moving forward has given other leagues and other teams an opportunity to see where they are. And it's it's interesting. They're all in a bubble. If a player tests positive, that team is out of the tournament and another team steps in. And it's it's very unique. But the games are on ESPN or ESPN2, and it's legitimate basketball. It's legitimate sport. And just watching it, and some of the players you remember uh, who now you look at and go, man, that guy has not aged well. His game hasn't aged well. Others are, how come he wasn't that good in college? He's gotten much better. It's given us something to watch. Tune in. Check it out. I think you would enjoy it because it certainly is something different that we haven't seen in quite some time. Major League Baseball camps are open. summer training, summer season. I don't know what you're calling this, but the camps are open. In some cases, the camps are open. The schedule was released yesterday, opening day of July 24th. You've got the Yankees and the Nationals 
likely Garrett Cole against Max Scherzer should be great. The 60-game schedule breaks down like this, 40 divisional games, 20 interleague games. For the Yankees, they have 10 games against the Red Sox, Orioles, Rays, and Blue Jays. They're not five home, five row. For example, the Blue Jays, three at the stadium, seven up in Toronto. I still don't know how teams are going to travel internationally with the borders being closed, but you know this is where we are with what's going on. Then they have 20 interleague teams, six, 20 interleague games, six against the Mets, four each against Atlanta and Philly, three against Miami and Washington. Schedule is going to be very different this year, and strength of schedule is going to be dependent upon the division that you play in. So the schedules are coming out fast-forwarding to July 24th, which is essentially two and a half weeks away, and then we're going to have baseball, and baseball will be on every day. And, you know, many of these teams are going to play day games because, you know, night games are a benefit for fans. There are no fans. So the schedule is kind of interesting that way. But while we're doing this, we're seeing players test positive. DJ LeMayu of the Yankees tested positive, and maybe the biggest name so far, Freddie Freeman, has tested positive. Freeman, who, in my opinion, is the best first baseman in the National League and one of the really good guys in the sport. He is a fantastic player and person. So hopefully he will get healthy and be able to join his Braves mates at some point. But the opt-outs are growing as well. David Price opting out last week. King Felix Hernandez opting out last week. But what I found interesting in going back to Freddie Freeman was that Nick Markakis is opting out. Now, Nick Markakis is one of those guys that you start looking at and you're thinking, Man, that guy had a really good career. When he was in Baltimore, he was a very good player. And, you know, never a superstar, just a good player. But here he is, 36 years old. He's going to be 37 in November. He's got 2,355 hits. If baseball was normal for the next four years and he averaged – 162 hits per year. You're talking about a guy who has 3,000 hits for his career. It's not out of the realm of possibility that he could have gotten to 3,000. Now, by opting out this year, he is potentially costing himself a chance for that. Now, assuming 162 games are played going forward, he could still do that. He would have to be productive into his early 40s, which Maybe he can, maybe he can't. But Nick Markakis talked to Freddie Freeman about what he's going through. And when he heard what Freddie Freeman was going through, he said, no, it's, it's not worth it to me at this point. And you think about that. Here's a guy not only giving up the money to play this summer, but giving up potentially a chance at the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Was Nick Markakis likely a Hall of Famer? Probably not. But again, he goes out this year and gets 160 hits. He's at 2,500. Does it next year? He's at 26 and a half. All of a sudden, we're looking at a guy who's chasing 3,000. There's a real possibility Nick Markakis could have gotten there. But this year will certainly 
not allow that to happen. Now, as we try to figure out how we're going to live our lives through this pandemic, how baseball is going to figure out its situation. One of the more outspoken guys in baseball has been Nationals reliever Sean Doolittle. Bright guy, excellent perspective. He spoke to the media the other day, and it wasn't just about baseball. Take a listen to Sean Doolittle of the Nats. It does, like, bring to mind kind of where we're at um, in our response to this as a country. Like, we're trying to bring baseball back in a, in a, during a pandemic that's killed 130,000 people. We're way worse off in a, as a country than where we were in March when we shut this thing down. And, like, look at where other developed countries are in their response to this. We haven't done any of the things that other countries have done to bring sports back. Sports are like the reward of a functioning society, a a functional society. And we're just like trying to just bring it back, even though we've taken none of the steps to have to, to flatten the curve or whatever you want to say to like, we did flatten the curve for a little bit, but we didn't use that time to do anything productive. We just opened back up for Memorial day. We decided we're done with it. Like, if there aren't sports, it's going to be because people are not wearing masks because the response to this has been so politicized. Like, we need help from the people, from the general public. If they want to watch baseball, like, please wear a mask. Like, social distance. Keep washing your hands. Like, we can't just have virus fatigue and think it's been like, well, it's been four months. Like, we're over it. This has been enough time, right? We've waited long enough. Like, shouldn't sports come back now? No, there's things we have to do in order to bring the stuff back. So, like, and now you want to bring fans back? I mean, I don't know. Is that safe? I'm not a public health expert, but, like, we should probably re- defer to them on some of these issues. Um, so I, I don't know. I Like, I don't know if it's safe or not. I really don't know. But, like, that doesn't seem like something that um, – I don't know if that feels like a good idea or not. I really – I don't know. One of the smarter guys in sports, and that's the reality of the situation that we're now in. We don't know. We're trying to figure everything out, and we're trying to move forward with what we think is normalcy. But how can we when we have no idea how to handle this? I read a thing the other day about the Ivy League and their football season and all the fall sports. Again, it's as we record this, this is July 7th. We are a month away from where fall sports are going to start getting ready to go to camps. High school sports begin August 15th, generally. The college sports, the NFL, they're all going to start early August. If you remember back to March when all of this kind of started, the Ivy League canceled its tournament, its postseason tournament, before anything was shut down. They opted out of the NCAA tournament before any of this shut down. Well, now, according to the article I read, athletic directors in the Ivy League are looking to push fall sports to the spring. And while many of you are going to say, well, Harvard and Yale gives a rat's ass about that game, 
it's not their games. It's the precedent being set. And I think when we start to look at college football and, you know, particularly college football and high school sports, we're getting into a time where, yes, we all want to see it, but is the reality this is going to happen? And I frankly am less and less optimistic each day that there is going to be a college football season that starts on time and a high school sports season in the fall at all. We don't even know if our children are going to go back to school in any sort of classroom setting or if it's going to be a situation where they are doing the distance learning thing again. So many unknowns, yet you know we as sports fans are hopeful that all these things go on and many leagues, I think, are acting in a way that is hopeful as well. When the COVID testing for baseball, the A's and White Sox have shut down their camps because they haven't gotten the test back from a couple days ago. So I think there's way too much unknown to fully expect that this schedule that came out saying July 24th opening day, I just don't think that's going to be as realistic as many people think it will be. The NBA, likewise, they are now in camps. People are testing positive. Apparently, multiple Rockets players have tested positive. Now, we haven't heard that. But, you know, if we're going to go through the NBA, finish up the regular season, and then play a playoff, think of the Rockets particularly because, again, we don't know who has, but – if Russell Westbrook and James Harden are guys that test positive, they have to be taken off that team for, what, at least a two-week quarantine, right? The Rockets are done. I, I don't know how you can look at a situation where you think that there's going to be a champion crown that anyone looks at and says, yeah, that, that was great. If, if you're old like me, you remember the Lakers – of the late 80s, early 90s, and when the Pistons, the bad boy Pistons, finally got over on the Lakers and became a champion, it was in large part due to the fact that in the first game of the finals, Byron Scott pulled his hamstring, and I believe it was the second game, Magic Johnson did the same thing. The two starting guards and the Lakers' best player, gone. And that allowed, now the Pistons may have won anyway, you never know. But here I am, close to 30 years later, still thinking, you know, that championship, it would have been different. This championship, look at the Lakers again now. If LeBron James tests positive, you take him off, there's no chance. There's no way. So it's it's a very fluid thing as we get to sports again. And, and I know many leagues are just – yeah, we're going forward, going forward. Eventually, that forward is either going to have to go through a wall or it's going to hit a wall. And I'm not sure where it's going to end up. The NHL, likewise, back at it. The NHL did something yesterday that I'm incredibly surprised at and yet happy for NHL fans. There hasn't been a lot of reason to be optimistic about the NHL going forward in my opinion, under Gary Bettman's leadership because he's a clown. But the NHL did something yesterday that deserves praise. 
they extended their collective bargaining agreement for through the 26th season. In the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of the St. Louis Blues shutting their training sessions down because of COVID test positive, they were able to extend the CBA, no work stoppages for the next five years, It's next six years. It's really impressive that the players and the league were able to get that done. I don't know how this season is going to go, and I hated the fact that an unknown team is going to have the number one overall pick, but this deserves praise and credit Gary Bettman for doing so. Now, Sabre fans, there was an article in The Athletic, Scott Wheeler, wrote this. This is something positive. You don't get much positive. So I certainly wanted to mention this. He took a list of drafted prospects. So you had to be a draft pick. You had to be in the system and you had to be under 23 years old. Those were the three qualifications. And he ranked the top 50 prospects in the NHL that meet those qualifications. The number one prospect in the NHL that meets those three things is Dylan Cousins, last year's Sabres number one draft pick. So if you're a half-full guy, that's great. You've got the best prospect coming to help Jack Eichel and maybe get the Sabres into the playoffs. You want to be a half-empty guy, this is a list of 50 players. The Sabres had exactly one player on the list, Dylan Cousins. It's all in how you look at things. So the Sabres' depth of high-level prospects certainly isn't there, but Dylan Cousins is somebody that I think we as Sabre fans all should be looking forward to seeing coming forward. And being that I am a Rochester guy and always rooting for the hometown boys to do good, Jack Dugan, a kid out of Providence, Rochester kid, was number 47 on this list. He signed his entry deal a few months ago with the Las Vegas Knights. So Jack Dugan at number 47. It would be great to see another Rochester kid stepping forward into the NHL. Love to see that. While I talk about Rochester kids, i got to bring up a couple Rochester kids who have NBA aspirations. Isaiah Stewart, former McQuaid kid, who likely will be a draft pick in the first round out of Washington, and then there's Quentin Rose, kid from Temple, who is hoping to be drafted as well. He's a Bishop Carney kid. Yesterday, they held an event at a local park here in Rochester. Shut up. Don't shut up and dribble. And they invited as many people as they could to this park to dribble for eight minutes and 46 seconds, the amount of time that that scumbag cop who murdered Derek Chauvin, Derek Chauvin was the cop, the murder the time he was on his knee or on his neck with a knee, eight minutes of 46 seconds. And it's just a very moving thing that these young men did. And I give them a lot of credit for not only having the ability to play great basketball, but having the social consciousness to step forward as leaders of their community. So props to all of those young Rochester guys making us all proud to be from here. I can't get through an entire podcast without bringing up my friend Kim Pagula. Kim Pagula yesterday, or, well, it was released yesterday, wrote a guest column for Peter King's football 
morning in America. It's a column that Peter King writes every week and over the summer when he's vacationing. He has guest columnists do it. And Kim Pagula did so. And she wrote a long column talking about what she's learned during the pandemic and many different things. And, and she did a really good job with it. I, I give her a lot of credit for what she did. But, of course, being that she is Kim Pagula, she, of course, did a few things that, you know, you have to discuss. She said, and I quote, not knowing what next season may look like, we decided to spend bonuses, raises, overtime, and put in a hiring freeze. Yeah, and they did that. We all know that the Pagulas did that. We also know that she held a meeting in January, which she said the most important priority for her is maintaining the lifestyle of her family. That's the most important priority. She also talked about her co-workers and the people who work in PSE as family. So, you know, family, lifestyle, we all have, we're all one big family, but your lifestyle is not to change, but mine did because you laid me off or furloughed me without going forward. Again, Kim doesn't look introspectively often enough, in my opinion, when she does and says things, I don't believe she understands the effects of what she says and does and the interpretations of what she says and does. I think if she did so, because this is an incredibly bright woman who has done a great job coming up with a visualization of Harbor Center, developing that, they have made great strides. But a little bit of self-awareness would go a long way for her. And I think going forward, if she can harness that, she could be a great voice for people in Buffalo and for women in sports. And I really think she has a ton of potential to do that. But right now, that self-awareness is lacking. So even when she did a great job writing a column, she did something again that Kim Pagula does too often. And that's kind of stepping. So, again, great job. Just know yourself and know yourself better. It will help you further on. And I'm sure she listens to my podcast and wants my advice. That's why I've given it. Because, you know, Kim, I'm here for you. Well, that wraps up another week. Next week, we're a week closer to what we think is sports and normalcy. Hopefully we're talking about things like Masahiro Tanaka getting hit in the head by a line drive and not COVID-related things, but I'm sure it'll still be COVID-related. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.